The internet and social media are a hallmark of modern society. A plethora of tools exist to help us consume, create, edit, and curate the swaths of data available at our fingertips. But how has this renaissance of information affected younger generations? Are children more adept at navigating cyberspace? Or are we the ones who need to rethink cyberculture? Dr. Vela Slava Hillman is a researcher at Data, Media, and Society Research Center, Malta, and a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics. Throughout her research, she has reinforced the need to voice children's and young people's perspectives and experiences. Welcome, Veloslava Hillman. Thanks so much for having me. To get us started, uh, I'd like to ask all of us a little question. Uh, how do we use digital media? I mean, me personally, I tend to use digital media um, constantly, not just as part of my work, but I guess, I guess even in the morning, the first thing I do when I wake up is to check Facebook and Instagram. How do I use media? I use it primarily, yeah, obviously to connect, to share, to, uh, to check up information. Um, what I do as a social scientist, though, I, I tend to really try everything that I plan to research. Um, so I've tried video games. Obviously, I, I engage with uh, with kids and young people. So whatever they are using and uh, you know engaging with, I tend to do research around that. Um, I don't use that much social media. Um, but what occurred to me when I read your uh, question initially was uh, it would have been interesting to get uh, people's initial reactions when they first encounter social media like Facebook. What was your very first reaction? I remember signing up for Facebook. And I was really um, excited about it at first, and then I was, I immediately I thought there's something weird about it. So I tried it. Um, I shared some images at the time when images couldn't be removed from Facebook, if you remember that period, which well, really, no. really scared me. Yeah. Um, and eventually, it took even longer for me to, you know, to break up from that affair. It was like a two-week affair, and then it was even longer affair to break off. Um, the same thing with uh, things like Snapchat, you know, the, the initial experiences were like really shocking. Um, and what I also wanted to add to this question is, um, you know, the, the first engagement is always excitement. Um, and even when you research with, with children, with young people, you see the excitement, but then it, it, um, the relationship changes. So you want to, to, to check what happens eventually when a habituation sets in. Okay. Um, and when suddenly technologies become almost uh, invisible to us um, and how they become really immersed with our life. And that, that's when, when you really want to weigh in what are the benefits, what are the risks there. But actually, sorry, Nika, tell me about your, your experiences with using digital media before I jump to something else. <laughs> uh, well, I would say that I, for a while, had a Facebook addiction. So that was sort of my go-to platform and luckily i i avoided other uh, media such as twitter and instagram um, because i felt that if i got onto those i would end up with another addiction um, but i have gotten myself off facebook recently so i think it's just once you get on it you, you it's really hard to just completely remove um the addiction I mean, you, Veleslav, you mentioned earlier, like our first reactions with uh, with social media. I think, I think I had my first interaction when I was about 13, 28 now. So this is like what 10, 15 years ago. And back then, it wasn't even Facebook that was the biggest, uh, the biggest player on the block. It was High Five. 
I've never heard of High Five. Oh, it's it's archaic man at this point, and you could customize your profile with or with these weird widgets at the time, or, or like stickers and like it was like someone vomited glitter on most of the <laughs> on most of the profiles, and people would you'd go onto a profile and it would play music automatically. It was a mess, but it was all the rage, man, for thirteen-year-olds. If you wanted to be someone in a social circle, you needed to have high five. But I can't remember when I started Facebook. Somehow High Five is more, you know, impressed in my memory. I remember, you know, being on MySpace and stuff and being on, on media too much from the start. And I think probably a lot of people can relate to that. And thinking about that, because we started, David, as teenagers um, interacting with this stuff. But now it's children. So maybe, Belislava, you could tell us, um, how do children use social media today? Okay. Um, I, okay, this, this question is very interesting. How, uh, what I would do is, first of all, there's a lot to unpack there. When we say children, who do we really mean? Mm -hmm. um, this is the kind of thinking that I, I always start off with. Who are those children? Where do they come from? How old are they? Uh, what families do they come from? Um, where do they live? Uh, what inspires them? What what you know? What fears they have? So there's there's a lot to unpack there. So when we say children, there's so much behind that. So we cannot really group, and there's a lot of danger that lies in, in grouping this way. I will just make some reference to uh, Common Sense Media. They're quite a big organization. They do a lot of research, mainly in the U.S., but um, the figures are quite reflective of what's happening elsewhere, like UK and and even in Malta. So let's say, um, generally speaking, now we, we see quite a lot of uh, increase in overall use of uh, digital media technologies, network technologies, social media, YouTube, from birth to eight years old. So that's a very young cohort. So, so, so uh, Common Sense Media, for example, they've looked at daily use range between 49 minutes among those younger than two to two and a half hours. So, now, these figures also spiked tremendously during the, the COVID-19 pandemic. It was like a really, really drastic jump because we, we were all, you know, we were on a lockdown, schools had closed and all that. So this changed, this sort of uh, new normal appeared and we, we started, I mean, in academic circles especially, we started talking about, look, you know, we need to, uh, we need to, panic less and just uh, just make sure that uh, we just survive this absolutely unprecedented time. But I'm quoting figures, again, from common sense media research based on in the US uh, context, uh, very much reflective on what figures I've seen in, in, uh, in Malta as well. I've done research uh, 2000, well, now it's a bit timed, but I've seen more recent studies as well. So they're very reflective to what common sense media has, uh, has been uh, doing and checking on you know, the, the media consumption every year. So they're quite similar. So I am quoting here figures that are uh, in the normal, typical, any typical day, rather than you know, specifically for COVID period. Okay. Um, and then for two to four year olds, you've got now a jump of two and a half hours daily use um, and more than three hours for uh, children aged five to eight. Um, now, at the same time, the complexity arises uh, when you look at the different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds. So you've got this digital divide that's still haunting us. Um, then you've got the other complexity of even if there is access, mere access is not really necessarily uh, allowing us to 
to engage fully and to fully benefit from technology. So there are those complexities as well. So we're talking about the, the skills, the um, you know the, the the competencies. So it's not just mere access that we we we're, we're thinking about. Um, and then you've got uh, the the two, the teen, the preteen uh, cohort. Um, uh, for example, on average, uh, eight to twelve-year-olds might be using just under five hours worth of entertainment screen media a day, and teens use an average of just about under seven and a half hours a day on a typical day. And uh, this hasn't uh, so for for the teens and preteens, for example, this is doubled only from the year twenty fifteen. Um, and you can see now if you want to go even further in details um, and look at exactly what kind of media that is being consumed and I, I really dislike the term consume because it, um, it it puts us in this again this group this basket of we are one uh, audience and we do one kind of thing and it's not the case but um, if you want to unpack again those terms you see that uh, again there are all these different differences that, that start to, to vary from one from one uh, individual to another but yeah there is a lot of media use a, a media engagement um, in in the different age groups we mentioned earlier that teenagers use digital media for seven hours whereas children use it for five hours so I'm wondering why is it that uh, teenagers use digital media more than younger children is it a good thing that they use it more or is it something we should be concerned about the why and the, so the why and the whether it's good to qualify it these are two different questions now why are they using a lot more than preteens there are all sorts of reasons um and so when we say but just the first thing to to clear out when we say teenagers use media on a typical day uh, and they spend around seven hours this is not uh let's let's be careful how we frame that mm -hmm. so we can't just uh you know say that every single teenager uh is using uh, social media or is being on on youtube for seven hours straight every single day i mean they will have exams they'll have uh, uh extracurricular activities and so forth and you know things vary this is an overall this is a take uh, with some kind of margin of error, but the, the, now the why, uh, why the, the 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 consumption in terms of time varies from from one age group to another. There there are many factors. I mean, younger children will have perhaps you know more restrictions imposed on them, uh, or they will have other you know other other things to do that uh, don't really relate to to technologies that are less mediated by digital media um uh older teens for example will have their own devices whereas a younger child a five-year-old you know will be using their parents device so there are all kinds of these variations uh my my thinking though is not so much as to uh why you know why is there a difference between um uh how much of it they consume but i i'm interested in the quality of what exactly they do um and and also um in relation to other things that that uh, a child typically does and how a child feels um uh, you know if you are uh talking about just uh timing and saying oh seven hours is just so scary and it's too much um without justifying exactly the quality of the, the activity during those seven hours then you you might miss a lot of opportunities there so a child may be immersed uh to do i i don't know uh, you know running a blog or, or doing something really creative a project with their friend which takes a lot of you know time 
it's very interesting what you said, uh, Velislava, about kids even um, before they're two years old, they're already getting exposed to this. I can only speak for myself as an adult, um, getting stuck on Facebook, for example, reading newsfeed and just scrolling through newsfeed. Obviously, a child um, that's going to be two years old, let's say a child in Europe uh, at two years old is, is not going to be reading newsfeed. What are they reacting to? Are they actually able to navigate different uh, pages and uh, do they do they have their own profiles? Um, because I know, for example, as well, some people will create profiles for their babies, they'll create profiles for their pets. Do they have access to their own profiles in that case? Um, my, recent, my research, the past research was really looking at what the opportunities are, what are the creative uh, uh, opportunities, so what does a child do with, a, with, a, with a, an application? Uh, what are the opportunities um, afforded by, by applications, by platforms, but from the child's perspective. Um, I wanted to know both in terms of learning and in terms of self-expression. So I, I looked at how, uh, how a child engages and what that means to them. And we were uh, talking about, uh, so in the, in the article that I wrote, for example, I was talking about uh, the selfie, the example with the selfies. Uh, to another that may be vain, that may be, you know, oh, they're all narcissists, but to a, to a child and to different, different individuals, taking a selfie, is, it could be considered a self-expression, it's an everyday creativity, it's, it's something that you want to articulate just using a different medium, you know, you use the technology of the language to express yourself, to articulate a thought, and the same way you do that through dance or through music or, to, or through, through a selfie, through a picture. Um, so what I followed was um, eight to 10 year olds, I wanted to see what they do with technologies, and at the same time, what are the limitations and the, um, and the opportunities that, the, that technologies enable? Because it's one thing to use um, an application that provides this finite uh, choice of uh, components that you can just put together as a puzzle and create this image. Um, and it's another thing to have this um, sandbox type of uh, play where you can really uh, express yourself the, the way you can express yourself through voice, uh, you know, um, or through instruments or through, uh, yeah, the sandbox uh, analysis. I think it's, um, it, it's a good one to use. Um, so the opportunities are first, obviously, for connectivity, for self-expression, uh, for the student-led kind of learning. Mm. Um, but when I looked at it from the perspective from the school, within the school perspective, so formal learning spaces, I also looked at uh, how the different um, the different factors, uh, you know, emerge together and play a, a part in what the child can actually do with with a particular medium so for example in in very uh teacher led a very um uh, you know very more 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 conservative kind of environments obviously it's the teacher that decides what's going to happen how the tool is going to be used or what the child should be doing um the the, the child follows the instruction uh, so there's that less freedom to to really explore and to to take leadership uh, and to me that's important that the children have their uh, agency that they have agency over what mm -hmm. to do yeah I mean this is a recurring theme in uh, but I, I 
I find it difficult to say this word. Uh, it's a recurring theme in pedo pedagogies. Pedagogies. Thank you. That's the word. Uh, ideally, as much as possible, uh, teachers try to move towards more student-based, uh, student-led learning strategies. Uh, however, before we jump into education, I would really like to ask this question. Um, hold this. Is the, do you think there is a correlation? Because we were talking about selfies and narcissism. Do you think there is a correlation between selfies and a child's conception of self? They're like how how they view themselves as an individual, their own sense of self-worth, perhaps. Do you think there is a correlation between selfies and this? Um, well, it's not about thinking. It's I would I would look at evidence, what the evidence says. So I think it's one thing to have a correlation and it's also another thing to care and it's completely another thing to say that there is a causal relationship exactly uh -huh. um and there that tends to get missed when people look at, at uh, evidence where people look at um um at the figures you know with some some surveys mm -hmm. so in my research i am to unpack what is said uh from statements like the narcissism epidemic you know there was um gene twenge uh from what university she was in the U.S. She wrote this uh, uh, a couple of books, the narcissism epidemic, then Generation Me. Um, they're they're timed now, but they, you know they're a bit uh, outdated now. But I think that narrative persists still today. Um, and uh, I, you know, the, I I don't necessarily agree with that. So when you have a conversation with someone, you learn a lot more. Uh, the way they see things, and that's what matters a lot. So when you have when you when you carry out a quantitative research uh and you you know a survey and you see uh you you find out how things or what things but you cannot necessarily understand as to why um that's where uh, I, I tend to have a conversation uh, uh with with children and even even meet them in natural settings and try to understand how they view things and why would they do certain things and that's why i had given an example in the article with the uh, with the selfies because I discovered a completely new view uh, children basically wanted to share um, you know a funny face just to say hello to their friend um, or they wanted to compare things or you know there's so much thought process going on out of a, of a picture and then the biggest shock is that you meet teachers um, or parents so you've got authoritative figures decision makers in a child's life uh, who decide that this is not what it is. Um, so there's that tension that emerges and the child just wants to say something and they're not being heard. Um, just to mention that, but the other day we were in bookstore with my youngest son, he's uh, eight now. Mm -hmm. And he comes to me, so I was looking at the books and he comes to me and he says, what does it take for a giant man to pay attention to me? I just want to ask a question. And it just melted my heart. And what it is, what does it take for giant people to hear children? I mean, we have to hear their version. Um, and, you know, this persists a lot through, it's like the legacy of uh, media effects theories, where audiences were, uh, audiences were considered very much a homogeneous uh, element. Um, and media exerts its control and effect uh, over it in in a like a uh, um, you know with the, with the same impact over every single member of that audience and it's not the case. Now children may not be able to articulate their thoughts verbally the way an adult might expect them to. Let's say they're in the classroom and the teacher you know is having a. Uh, 
uh, already has an idea of what the answer, the right answer should be. And the child may not have been able to articulate that answer, but that doesn't mean that the child does not have an opinion or a view or an idea. We just have to see it the way they see it. Yes, I actually found it really striking when I was reading your articles about the fact that we have such strong opinions about what digital media is doing to children and we don't ask them, well, what is your experience? What, what, what is happening to you when you're using this media? What do you like? What don't you like? And it seems rather obvious that we should be doing that. Um, so I, yeah, I'm surprised that we're not. And I think it's fantastic uh, that you're doing this research and maybe perhaps something else we should be doing is finding a way to better understand other forms of expression. Cause as you said, yeah, children are not going to be able to articulate themselves in the way that we do, but certainly we can make an effort to, to speak their language as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, of course, we need to follow the, the research method. We need to be uh, carrying it, uh, you know, the right way. Obviously, a, a child will be excited about everything. So when you ask them, oh, they'll say they love everything. They're passionate about everything. Everything excites them. That's brilliant. Um, of course, we need to, uh, you know, we need to we need to follow uh, the uh, a methodology to understand better uh, exactly what happens. Um, so it's not that easy just to, to, to figure out exactly what the child thinks or, or what their perspective is, but it's, it's just crucial. And especially yeah. in light of all the, you know, uh, education technologies, especially coming in, into the classroom. And that's, that's what my most recent research is about. Um, AI, um, you know, artificial intelligence and intelligence tut tutoring systems coming into the space, which are steering to have the have the capability to steer the learning process to, to really dictate what why and when and how a child should be learning something and this is this is where we can really risk uh diminishing that that space of the child to, uh, to, to have choice to have agency well you you said earlier in fact about how the these social media platforms and the digital media encourages student-led learning and as david said you know we should be moving in this direction and as you've said and we are moving in that direction but i'm actually not seeing how uh, this engagement with social media is bringing about the student-led learning and what does that look like in in the classroom um uh, are children going to be uh using snapchat in the classroom for example and yeah what does that look like no so let's make a very clear distinction when i talk about technologies i don't talk about social media um now social media is completely different kettle of fish from what what is coming into the classroom okay. uh, let's let's open up a little bit the, the the discussion surrounding social media now um uh, it's it, it, this is a completely different conversation that we actually have. My bigger concern with regards to social media is um, what a lot of research is, is pointing to 
um, the echo chambers and this kind of hive mind that, that social media tends to create. Um, uh, now, for example, following Cambridge Analytica scandal surrounding the last elections, US elections, for example, and the surveillance capitalism of uh, Professor Shoshana Zubov, she's been calling on uh, for the calling on the international community to stand against this kind of data surveillance and data collection for uh, rendition, uh, profiling, and uh, behavioral control. Uh, th these, are, these are deep concerns uh, that we, we, we should be thinking about and talking about a lot more. Um, and that's, that relates directly to social media and to also this kind of model where a lot of digital technologies, network technologies, including educational uh, applications and platforms are starting to follow the, the business model of uh, extracting data for data profiling, prediction and behavioral control. So this is something to, to really seriously think about. Now, when we talk about social media, we already have evidence to how this business model uh, is impacting uh, greatly and is is, is um, you know creating a lot of risks and um, raising a lot of concerns. So I'll give you an example. Uh, do you know that only by the likes you have submitted on your Facebook account, developments in machine learning can help predict with great accuracy a lot about your personality and with a high external validity of predicting life outcomes such as substance abuse, political attitudes, physical health, sexual orientation. This is a study that was done in 2013 by these uh, by Kuzinski, Stilwell, and, and Grapple, and then it was I, I think a similar one, or it was replicated. A similar one was done uh, in 2015. They these guys, so 2013, they demonstrated that just out of easily accessible, easily accessible digital records of behavior such as Facebook likes alone. Uh, can be used to automatically and accurately predict a range of highly sensitive information that you may never have intended to, to share in the first place. Now, this is from social me a, a social media platform. Um, um, and then, you know, Snapchat and all of those. The, this, this is a different conversation from the conversation we, we are having or the, or the research that I'm, I'm working on in, in the education space. Um, now, what's, what's really disturbing, I just wanted to point this, but what's really disturbing is the fact that we share that data voluntarily and we continuously do that and children continuously do that. And this, you don't know what's behind it, what kind of data is being rendered, what kind of profiling is happening on a daily basis without your consent, without you even imagining what, how that data, uh, you know, may affect you at some point. So books have been written already about it. Um, research has been done already about it. So these these are the dangers from AI, from um, you know data, from data extraction and data use uh, for machine learning for artificial intelligence. So these are the kind of things that I I am worried about that I think about. Um, and then obviously the, the second, just the second concern is the hive mind, which is a very big element when we talk about social media. So what's the hive, the hive mind? So we seem to become a, a like a, you know, this, if, if you, if you're constantly following, constantly following uh, the, the news feed on Facebook, and in fact, 
I found that in Malta, about 94%, this is the second, second uh, highest user in Europe is the Maltese population in Facebook. Only less than 10% of the Maltese population is, like, is not on Facebook. Now, we already know that uh, uh, social media uh, algorithmically arranges what kind of information you're likely to, to view. Uh, it's interesting to know whether the, the general population knows or the 94% of that you know, population knows about this. So this kind of kind of mind can be very, very dangerous, especially when you want to express an opinion, not even to express an opinion, but to actually say, look, there may be another side, another view to this. Um, and now you know you, you've heard about the council culture. So that's that's the power of the hive mind that that worries me. Um, I, I I agree. I think this uh, discussion about the hive mind would be fascinating. However, I want to take it back a little bit to the issue with because uh, you mentioned for data scandals, for instance. I feel that a lot of adults don't really know about the risks of you know the risks. They don't really realize how far a like can go. They don't realize that how easy it is to predict certain behavior patterns. But that being said, if adults aren't even aware, shouldn't we be educating children as well about this? Shouldn't children be exposed to to social media at an early age with you know with certain frameworks, of course, in place, um, so they can be more more aware of how their data can be used, how it might be used against them, or yeah, that's a brilliant question, and that's that's where the education comes into crucial place. Um, I created this um, education, uh, so a media literacy education program for teachers, um, and I wanted to share it with teachers. I wanted to create workshops in Malta um, in February, March, before the the first lockdown uh, started. And I've, I've, you know, reached out to the Ministry for Education. Um, I've, I don't want to get into politics of that, but I really wanted to create. I really wanted to create this conversation, at least to start the conversation, because it's not just about the teachers, it, uh, the, the the children. It's also about the teachers. So it's about all the different stakeholders in a child's life. So that whole social milieu that uh, th that makes up the space where a child learns and grows up. We need to open that conversation about digital media, uh, literacy, and education. Uh, from the question that you asked, I mean, all of that needs to be discussed a lot more openly with teachers, educators, educationalists, with parents, with, with children as well. Um, I've looked at uh, the digital media literacy and skills framework for, for the primary and secondary for compulsory education in Malta. And there are so many things that we can do more. Um, data literacy, when we talk about data literacy, suddenly, you know, this conversation from digital media literacy skills and competences has shifted towards data literacy. There is a lot that needs to be done at the local, uh, at the local scene, a lot. Um, of course, it's very challenging to, uh, to, to, uh, to unpack that term. What do we mean by data literacy? Do we just show children what the data is and we just show them data sheets? and say, well, this is what you can do with data. It's not that easy to, to decide and to build curriculum and pedagogy around it. But uh, the first step, I believe, at least for the local context, is to start having the discussion about that. So I did a lot of research when I was a, um, a fellow, a research fellow at Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University last year. And I partnered with Cambridge Public School District 
Um, and I wanted to understand the kind of data that's being collected in, in schools. The granularity of data is just mind-boggling. It's, it's so uh, worrying in the sense that what happens to this data? Uh, this, you know, where does where does it go? Who's using it? Who's accessing it? For what purposes? All of these questions come out, and it's not just data that's generated by the school district or the school administrator, but it's also the platforms and applications that are being used. So, children today, for example, even in multi schools, they're using Microsoft Teams, they're using Google, they're using uh, Class Dojo, uh, they they're using all sorts of applications on a daily basis. These are these are uh, uh, these are products that somebody owns. And these products uh, require minimal amount of data and sometimes a lot of data in order for them to work properly. And at the same time, data is generated nonstop when the, when the child is using this, this application. Where does this data go and how is that data used? Um, so the, these are the, the kind of uh, things that we need to talk about with children, about children, for children, through pedagogy, through curriculum, and also inform teachers as well, but not in a you know in a panicky way. I I, I try to, I, I really want to carry the message through well through through this podcast by saying, look, we we can work on this together, and we can build programs, we can uh, build support programs rather than panic people and 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 worry people. I mean, I think we can all agree that when we try and devise something out of panic, then we usually don't get the best results. Um, Nika, do you have something you'd like to, to share or to add? Well, I, I would love to keep this going. In fact, there's other questions I want to ask, and this is so interesting, but it seems like we're unfortunately going to have to wrap up. So maybe, uh, Velaslava, if there's any other last comments that you'd like to make before we end. Well, thank you very much for, for having me. I really love that. We should definitely continue the conversation. Um, yeah, there's so much to say. There's just so much to say. Yes. If I have to say in one word, in a couple of words, is uh, we shouldn't generalize and we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't think of children as one homogeneous uh, you know, member of the population, but as many and very creative and very, very, very bright, creative individuals who have so much to say. We just need to hear them.